you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Mornings are a great time for doing anything that is important to you that life has a way of crowding out. So for a lot of people, that's things like exercise. Uh, you can tell yourself you'll exercise after, you know, you get home from work, but like by the time you get home, you're like, I just want to curl up and do nothing. Always, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, or, or you mean to get to the gym right straight from work, but then, you know, a big client calls right at, at the end and then you're racing to get a later train home anyway. And, and so the gym doesn't happen. So, I mean, you can try to leave this stuff for the end of the day, but, but life has a funny way of intervening. Whereas if you get up and do it first, well, the emergencies have yet to occur. Hi there. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, founder and CEO of Career Contessa. And you're listening to season two of The Females, a podcast that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season will focus on disruption. From disrupting industries to old narratives and definitions of success, and even disrupting new ways of thinking. Today's interview is Laura Vanderkam, an author, productivity expert, and a woman disrupting time management skills. I first came across Laura's work when Career Contessa published an article called How You're Wasting 50 Plus Hours a Week. And as you can probably imagine, I was immediately taken by the article because it's true. We all do share the same number of hours in a week. That's 168 to be exact. But it does seem like some people are machines that power through their to-do lists, while others are just quote-unquote too busy all the time. Why is that? And how can we stop being a culture that is constantly overwhelmed and just so busy all the time? How do we break the narrative that we're too busy to make progress on the things we really care about? So when I wanted to investigate this topic more, because we all know that time is especially tight for us working women, I naturally went straight to the time management source with Laura, a seven-time author, TED speaker, a mother of four, and a woman who has analyzed the time diaries of over 900 people. Okay, now that we can all agree that Laura knows a thing or two about productivity, let's dive in to learn how we can disrupt our own relationships with time and our ever-growing to-do list, a weekly habit that we all need to adopt, ASAP, and the question you should ask yourself before you agree to that networking dinner three weeks from now. And now, this is The Females. Well, let's start with where did your interest in time management start? Because I feel like a lot of people aren't interested in it. In fact, they ignore their time management. 
Yeah, well, I wish I could say it was because I was always on time everywhere, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Uh, so, so no natural time management uh, expertise happening here. No, I came, I became interested in it because in you know started off doing a lot of journalism and writing about different things, and I like to write about people's careers, and I found that I was often asking them about their schedules. And uh, so it was a, a topic of much interest to me. And, and then, you know, many years ago when I became a parent for the first time, I became particularly interested in the question of how people make their hours work so that they can devote adequate time to building their careers and yet also still raising a happy family, having time for themselves. And as I began to study this and study people who are doing it well, I found that a, a lot of the, you know, conventional narratives we have about time are a bit misleading. I really do believe there is time for everything that matters to us. And how did your career in this niche take off? Did you just start writing about it and then you decided to write some books? Or, I mean, I guess, like, how did the career, where, where people were basically paying you for your advice related to time management, how did that start? Yeah, that that came out of writing the books. Um, so, I years ago I was trying to write a book proposal about this topic and I went through many many iterations and I wrote about the topic different places and finally landed on the 168 hours angle 168 hours is the number of hours in a week and so I managed to sell a book on that topic um to to what's now Penguin Random House, uh, their, their business imprint portfolio. And yeah, so once a book comes out on a topic, you kind of become known for it. So I began speaking about it and I wrote about some other things after that, but you know, people resonated most strongly with the time message. And, and so then I wrote more on time and, and, um, as you write more, you learn more. And as you talk to more people, you learn more. And as you, um, see what, people react to, you learn what, what messages might be strongest. So I guess that's what, how, how that grew. Yeah, no. And I like that you said that it started out of, I was asking, I was interested. And so I was asking a lot of people about their time management skills, because I think a lot of us, you know, we want to, you know, think really hard and have our interest or our passion just pop up. And, you know, it's unfortunate it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes it's just based out of like, I'm really interested in knowing how people do this one thing. It's actually, that's how I started Career Contessa too. I really loved asking women, what's your job title? You know, essentially, what's your job title and how did you get there? Which ultimately grew into to more. But um, so I, I like that it started with just like a, a pure interest. So yes, I know that your book is your first book. I mean, you've written a lot of books, but your your first book was 168 hours, which as you said, is the number of hours we all have in a week. And essentially what your book is saying is that there's, here's a new approach of getting the most out of those hours. And I think you're very accurate when you say that we all feel starved for time between work, family, life, and self. I mean, I think everyone you talk to will tell you there's not enough time in the day, right? Like you hear that often. And this book really challenges that narrative um, that we're too busy to get things that we want done. C can you walk us through this approach and how we can really disrupt our own 168 hours? Like what's, what's the biggest takeaway from what you learned writing 168 hours? Well, the biggest takeaway is that we should view our lives in weeks. Um, cause you just said a few seconds ago that people say there aren't enough hours in the day and that's right. totally true. There aren't enough hours in the day, but we don't live our lives in days. We live our lives in weeks and when you look at the whole of the week, you see just how much space we have. I mean, I, I do some numbers for people in talks and in my books that, you know, if you work 40 hours a week, so that's a full-time job, and sleep eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours per week, 
that leaves 72 hours for other things, which is almost twice as much time as you're working. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear that phrase all the time, that, oh, you spend the majority of your waking hours at work. <laughs> well, unless, unless you work 56 hours per week, which the vast, vast, vast majority of people do not, um, you, you don't. <laughs> so that's another misleading uh, statement there. So, you know, the first thing is viewing your life in weeks. And then you see that there, there is this other time other than work, you know, so, so work and life can both coexist. Um, you may need to be creative about, about finding the time and managing your energy, but the time is there, but it's also about recognizing, you know, things don't have to happen daily and they don't have to happen at the same time every day to count. And if we do things a couple times a week, it's often great. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so we often, we also can't view any one day and, and the trade-offs that have been made in any one day as, as the whole view of time. So, you know, all the time people are like, Oh, I had to work late life is horrible, terrible. I was like, okay, well, you work late two nights this week. There are seven days in a week, which means that five you didn't. And so we can, you know, talk about the two and lament the two, or we can talk about the five that we didn't, I mean, which is more than two. And, or, right. you know, people who travel are like, oh, I'm traveling all the time. Okay, well, let's, let's <laughs> set out. Is it really all the time? I mean, you know, even people who, who do this, like sales jobs where they are on the road a lot will often look at, you know, stay in the same hotel chains and get a statement of how many nights they're gone. And it, it tends to max out around 120 nights per year, which is one third of your nights, right? Mm-hmm. So it, again, it's it's not every day. It's probably not 100% of your time. We can look at time holistically and see that there usually is space for life on multiple dimensions. When you were doing your research on this, were productive people or people who were managing their time really well, were they planning out their week and then slotting the things that were important or were they, you know, slotting out days or, I mean, is that how we should do it? Is like every Sunday kind of think about your week ahead? I am definitely a fan of thinking through your weeks before you're actually in them. Um, since the week is the unit of time that we live life in, that's what we should look at. And not everyone does this. I mean, some people have the ability to to take things more day at a time for whatever reason. Often it's because they, they don't have extensive personal life responsibilities. And so it's more of an, but I, I think most of us uh, do better when we look in the week as a whole. I should move that planning back a little bit. Instead of doing it Sunday night, I do it Friday afternoon. To do it Friday afternoon is that most people aren't really doing a whole lot on Friday afternoon anyway. <laughs> like they're sort of sliding into the weekend, uh, having having trouble starting anything new at work. Which it could be wasted time, but you can you know redeploy it for something much more purposeful. Um, so you take a few minutes on Friday afternoon, plan the week ahead. If you need to set up meetings, that person is probably still at their desk, so you can get them and, and get that scheduled. Or if you need to think about, you haven't thought about your weekend yet, that gives you the last opportunity to think about what you want to do over the weekend. Um, but yeah, just Friday afternoon, think about the various spheres of life. I, I recommend three career relationships and self, um, making yourself a three category priority list for the next week. Just put a couple items in each, look at the calendar, see where they go. Yeah. I love that. I actually like planning on the Friday before, or yeah, the Friday before the next week. I don't know why I'm kind of in probably for the reason you said it's like Friday afternoon, my productivity levels definitely starting to slide, but for some reason making a to-do list seems to make me really happy (laughs) and like a goal list for the next week. Um, I think that's really interesting. We actually mentioned your book in an article that we wrote in career Condessa that I'll include in the show notes and people had really intense reactions. You know, some people were like, oh my gosh, you're so right. I have so many hours in a day. And other people were like, I want to make time to watch Netflix. I'm tired of everyone telling me I need to go, go, go. I mean, have you, what kind of criticism has the book also received? Well, I, I'd say that's actually the, the idea that you can't watch Netflix is 
kind of (laughs) if that makes you happy, like go for it. I'm all in favor of people choosing their leisure time mindfully. So a favorite show, you know, watched with people you love, that's a, that's a great way to spend time. Um, unfortunately that's not actually how people interact with screams usually in their lives. It tends to be a bit more mindless, uh, kind of, it comes on because that's what you do. Right. Um, and then it doesn't go off because it's hard to turn it off. And, and so it winds up occupying the bulk of people's leisure time. Um, and at which, you know, then people will tell you like, Oh, I have no time for X. I have no time right. for Y it's hobbies or, or passions of theirs. And like, well, you probably do. It's just those take effort. And and so we come into this paradox that like the most enjoyable, meaningful leisure time activities take effort. Yeah. And the problem is when we get to our leisure time, we often don't want to put effort into anything. <laughs> and so, so then we're stuck. We're like, and that's why we're watching TV all the time. But if you can kind of nudge yourself to say, well, you know, not all my time needs to be effortless. Maybe once or twice a week, I can do something fun that takes effort. Um, you know, then, then you're in a better place. It's the difference between throwing a dinner party and like looking on Instagram at photos of other people's dinner parties. (laughs) They're both fun. Like they're both reasonable ways to spend an evening, but one is a lot more, more memorable and ultimately more enjoyable than the other. Right. It's, uh, it's pretty terrifying now. Instagram will tell you how many hours you've spent on it in a day. And it's like, whoa, (laughs) that's terrifying. But also I think it's great because you're right. People are mindfully or mindlessly scrolling screens and that's, that's not exactly, you know, being, I guess, spending time, as you said, having the dinner party with other people is much more enjoyable than probably, uh, scrolling on Instagram. Hey there, let's take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like there is something preventing you from moving forward setting and achieving goals, or really just in the way of feeling fulfilled? Have you ever wondered if counseling might be a great option for you? Meet BetterHelp, online counseling that's here for you. BetterHelp allows you to connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Get help on your own time and at your own pace with over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states to choose from. They're specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, self-esteem, grief, sleeping, you name it, they specialize in it. You can start communicating via text, chat, phone, and video in under 24 hours as well. Anything you share is confidential. And as you've heard on our exact show, asking for and getting help is a powerful act of self-care. If you think counseling might be a great step, check out BetterHelp for their professional, secure, and convenient options. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. The females listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code FEMALES. That's F-E-M-A-I-L-S. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com females. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com females. All right, now let's get back to the show. So I heard you talk about you wrote a money book in the past and you said that while the money book was great, it was a bit harder for you to to write because we all have different amounts of money, but we all have the same amount of time, which I found that really interesting just because I've never really thought about it like that, but it's very true. But I guess my question is, what about the people who can pay for assistance to help them get more done? Like having a nanny or a personal assistant or on-demand services, like getting their groceries delivered you know, when it comes to time management, it's all having the same amount of time. Actually, you could pay to have someone help you get more done. Like, did you see correlations with that? Well, I think people who use their money well, 
um, and use money to make them their lives better are, are all about doing that <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, you can make more money. You cannot make more time. Uh, so if you actually want to use your money to buy yourself happiness through buying yourself time, uh, that, that works great, you know? And, and so if you do have any of these resources available to you, I would suggest using them. Um, you know, think about your time and think about when the particular pain points happen. Um, and you know, when you're counting minutes and ask yourself the question of whether using some of your resources, including money would, would help move minutes out of those categories. I mean, just an example in, in my life, um, I have four kids and so they tend to have multiple activities on the weekends, often at the exact same time. And, And so if, you know, two of the older kids had activities, my husband and I would split them and go to that. But then what do we do with the younger kids? You know, we can take them with us, but it, it is pretty much pure torture to be chasing <laughs> a toddler around the side of a swim meet for hours or trying to keep them out of a flag football game or, you know, entertaining them on the side of a soccer goal. I can't count the number of times <laughs> that I've like, you know, missed my big kid's goal because I'm like chasing a toddler into a parking lot. And so you realize, well, if this is so painful and, and unenjoyable, why don't we hire a sitter on the weekend to come watch the little kids so we can go to the big kids games, like watch them have a reasonable time, not be counting the minutes. And then like the, the little kids are happier too. Like somebody's building Lego towers with them instead of our chasing them through parking lots. So, you know, it's just a question of, is, is there a way you can use resources to make life better? And if you can like go for it, <laughs> that's, that's what money is sometimes four. Right. Well, I think that's also why some people feel like, well, if, if you, you can have more time if you're rich, right? Like if you can afford those things, you could kind of in a weird way break the rules or create more time for yourself, even though you're not literally creating more time. But sometimes it does feel like they get, they have a little bit of a shortcut. Yeah. Although it's, it's surprising how many people don't do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this is the bizarre thing about people who, who do have resources and yet don't sort of understand that time will often buy you more happiness than another object. Uh, and so being wise about what you put your resources against uh, is, is right. And the truth is you don't have to have millions to buy yourself time. It could be little things. Like I, I think for a lot of people who have at least, you know, some discretionary income, something like Amazon prime is, is worth its weight in gold, right? Because then you're not in the car braving traffic on the weekend to get to a store to buy one random object that the store might not carry anyway, right? You know, that you've just saved yourself two hours and you do that enough weekends, you, you've made the, the prime feedback pretty quickly. So, you know, it, it doesn't have to be outsourcing through huge quantities. It can also be small quantities too. Yeah. You can work your way up to to the bigger quantities. Um, yeah, work your way up to the, the personal <laughs> assistant. But in the meantime, start with Amazon Prime. Right. Well, they do have virtual assistants now that are like extremely affordable. And again, like when it comes to time, like you're, you know, scheduling everything over email. So I, I agree. There probably are a lot of tools out there that can help you manage your time even better if you have some discretionary income, but we need to know what they are. You need to actually use them. So um, that's always a, a big thing. Um, so you also have an ebook. <laughs> and like I said, you have a lot of books. So I want to make sure everyone understands this is your ebook and it's called What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast. And it covers three main areas such as jumpstart your productivity Uh, Number two is recharge and prepare for a great week. And three is accomplish more in less time. And I'm so interested to get into the details of your findings. Like, 
what time are they getting up to do all this? What are they doing the night before and and how long are their commutes? So like, what are the successful people doing differently? And if we can get into the details, that would be great. Mornings are a great time for doing anything that is important to you that life has a way of crowding out. So for a lot of people, that's things like exercise. Uh, You can tell yourself you'll exercise after you know, you get home from work, but like by the time you get home, you're like, I just want to curl up and do nothing. Always, <laughs> or, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, or, or you mean to get to the gym right straight from work, but then, you know, a big client calls right at, at the end and then you're racing to get a later train home anyway. And, and so the gym didn't happen. So, I mean, you can try to leave this stuff for the end of the day, but, but life has a funny way of intervening. Whereas if you get up and do it first, well, the emergencies have yet to occur. Most people have more energy and discipline and focus in the morning as well. Uh, especially, you know, after that first cup of coffee, people feel like they can take on the world. Uh, so, so it's a good time if you're going to, you know, write a book or if you want to do like spiritual practices, journal, um, any of those things that might be a good to get up and do it. Now, it, it doesn't mean you have to get up at the crack of dawn. Like if somebody has to be at work at nine, let's say, and they leave their home at 815, uh, if they spend 730 to 815 getting ready, like, I mean, you could get up at 630 and do quite a bit between 630 and 730. And we're, we're still not talking like waking up at 3am or some ridiculous hour that I saw in a recent article about someone's life. It, you know, it doesn't have to be 3am, <laughs> like 630 would be fine. For, for someone with a kind of normal, normal commute, normal job, you know, some people have to get up earlier for various reasons, but again, it, it doesn't have to be the crack of dawn. It doesn't have to be an hours long morning routine. It's just anything that you don't find space for in the rest of your life, uh, could be good. So, mm-hmm. you know, get up and run for half an hour, uh, write in a journal for 10 minutes and call it a day. Sounds good to me. Were these um, people that you interviewed, when you said they were recharged and and prepare for a great week, were they doing something like they would look over their to-do list or they were, you know, the one that they made on Friday? I mean, where was the preparation for a great week mostly because they now were able to feel like, okay, I've, I've at least accomplished these few things before I go off to work? Yeah. Well, I think that preparing for a great day in in the morning is possible. I'm not sure if the great, great week, (laughs) I I think, I think the ebook was divided into the, the, what we're talking about was actually a book that was three sections. One, one was about weekends and one was about productivity during the work day. Uh, So that's where those, those phrases came from. I'm like, I hoping I did what wasn't overselling the morning <laughs> book uh, itself in, in this. But uh, no, those those were looking at, at weekends and, and the workday. But I do think that mornings are a good time for um, preparing for the day ahead, but but in a more proactive sort of way. So a lot of people who do mornings well for, will, for instance, after showing up at work, like if you do have some discretion over how you spend your work time, which obviously some people don't, but if you do, using that first hour for the proactive, deeper thinking, um, more speculative stuff, and then getting into the email and meetings and stuff after that, because, you know, you'll, you'll go to a two o'clock meeting regardless of how you feel, whereas you won't feel at two o'clock. Like you can, you know, work on this project that's going to establish you as an expert in your field. Like you, a lot of people, their, their brains are not working that way by then. Like you'll answer the email at some point, cause you have to, or just, it can fit in around the edges of other things. But that first hour can, can be golden for focus and, and getting stuff done. So that's, a, that's another way to use mornings. Well, is, is to spend that first bit of time at work on something that truly matters. 
Right. And I, I do feel like the workday is being set up in a way so you're really only able to get deep work done in the morning. So for like example, you get to the office and before it, it's 10 a.m., it's pretty quiet. But from 10 to 4, it's meetings, chit-chat, and more meetings. How do we stop these constant meetings upon meetings when that's probably not the best use of our time anyways? I definitely agree that that constant back-to-back meetings is seldom the best use of, of anyone's time. You know, I, I think there's a couple of things we could do. One is be very careful to seize that time before 10 o'clock. I mean, if you don't have a whole lot of control over your schedule, um, you can still notice, well, usually the morning is pretty quiet. So let me think about what sort of work I do that requires quiet and focus and make sure I schedule that during that time, as opposed to getting to work and, you know, just deleting all your emails and surfing around on headlines until it's time for that first 10 a.m. meeting. Um, So you can really use that time for, for stuff that, you know, should get done. As for pushing back on meetings. I mean, this is the sort of thing that it's really helpful to have a conversation with your your manager about, or if you are managing people, to have a conversation with each of your team members about like how much of your time is spent in meetings. Because what often happens is that each project winds up with a certain number of recurring meetings, and then they stack on top of each other. And as people get busier and have more meetings, then you have to call a meeting to get anything done because people's time is being spent in meetings. And so they won't respond to anything unless you're in a meeting. And so (laughs) it becomes this vicious cycle. Right. Um, Yeah. So this is the sort of thing, like as a manager, you need to monitor for your team members. Like, oh, actually, we don't really need all those people coming in every week to say that they are still doing their jobs because Mm -hmm. hopefully they are, in fact, still doing their jobs. Um, That the point of a meeting of bringing people together is that something should change in the world as a result of that meeting happening. And I think a lot of meetings do not actually meet that bar. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the best thing you can do is before every meeting or, you know, as you're scheduling the meetings, ask yourself and ask the people who are coming, well, what will change in the world as a result of this? And if you know what that is, like what decision is being made, then you, you're automatically going to be more focused uh, and, and you will also have a lot fewer meetings. Right. And I know people don't love, you know, having to pre-plan before a meeting because it seems counterproductive, but I love when people send an agenda out before the meeting because one, it's like, it, it makes the 30 minute meeting now 15 minutes, which is, you know, over time, over the whole day that will add up. So I've noticed like on our team, we only, we stack meetings too. So we only have our big meeting days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I find that everyone's a little bit more anxious just because it's like, now you're getting all this stuff prepared, but the meetings run really quickly. It's just a matter of like, okay, you got to get all your stuff ready so that the meeting will run quickly. But to be fair, I mean, there's no there's no way around meetings. You have to have them, but you can make them more enjoyable because um, we've all been in a meeting before where we're like, why am I here? <laughs> this, this, yes, this meeting not changed necessary. nothing in the world yeah. except making me 90 minutes older. So yeah. that was uh, not really the best use of anyone's time. Exactly. Um, so I would love for you to tell us about or tell us the story of the water heater from your massively popular TED Talk. I know that's uh, a good, good storyline. Yeah, so – this is getting at the idea of time uh, stretches to accommodate what we need to put into it. Time is very elastic. Um, so I've had many people track their time for me over the years. And this one particular time log came from um, a lady that was part of a professional group that I was looking at all their time logs. Um, but a very busy woman worked in finance, two young kids. She goes out for a Wednesday night for something and comes home to find that her water heater has broken and there is now water all over her basement. 
Um, so pretty big mess, like water all over the place, flooding. She has to deal with it. And her time logs, and she's tracking her time that week, shows her dealing with it, like the, the immediate aftermath, the plumbers, the professional cleaning crew, because her basement carpet is ruined, like all, all this stuff. It winds up taking seven hours of the week that she recorded. And so what I always say to people is like, well, you know, isn't that magical? She like found <laughs> she found an extra hour in the day. <laughs> you know, how did that happen? People say that they would just love to have an extra hour in the day. And then here she managed to find seven hours to deal with this. And we just said if we'd had this conversation at the start of the week and said like, hey, can you find seven hours to train for a triathlon or find seven hours to mentor those people who keep asking you to, to mentor them? Like, I think the vast majority of us would be like, um, no, I cannot do those things. Right. I'm extremely busy. Can't you see how busy I am? But if you wind up with water all over your basement, you will find those seven hours. Uh, so it's really time management is all about treating our priorities as the equivalent of that broken water heater. Like we decide that come hell or high water, as they say, you are going to find <laughs> the seven hours for those things that you need to do. And, and when you approach it that way with that sense of urgency, you can get a lot done. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of, of being able to find time in your calendar, your most recent book, Off the Clock, has had 900 people keep a time diary. So first, what is a time diary? And would you suggest that a good place to start with anyone who's feeling constantly frazzled, especially with managing their time at work, they should start by keeping a, a time diary? Oh, definitely. I, I always suggest that people who want to spend their time better first figure out where the time is really going. Because, you know, if you don't know where the time is going, how do you know if you're changing the right thing? Mm -hmm. it, it could be that something you thought was a problem isn't. It could be that something you haven't really thought about is taking more time than you imagine. Just like any business decision, any financial decision, you want to make sure you have good data mm -hmm. if you're going to change something. And there are ways to get this data. Like you can track your time. Um, so I have people track their time for off the clock. I had people track 24 hours. So they filled out my survey with, with the previous 24 hours. And then, you know, I, it, for that book, I asked them questions about how they felt about their time. So I could compare the schedules of people who felt most relaxed and like time was abundant with the schedules of equivalently busy people who felt stressed and starved for time. But in general, it's just an accountability mechanism. Same as, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, you know, that nutritionists tell you keep a food journal, right? right. It mm -hmm. generally works, um, you know, and you, you will lose more weight if you are accountable for what you're putting in your mouth. Uh, same thing with time. You know, if we know where the time is going, then in and of itself, that can nudge you to make good choices or to say, well, actually, life is completely out of whack and I need to address these things. But now you know for sure um, rather than just relying on on various stories you may be telling yourself. So is it like every hour they just write what they did during that hour? Or do you say, okay, I woke up at this time and then I ate breakfast. You just put in the, the act. Like, do you start with the time and then put in the activity or the activity and then write in the time? No, I, so I generally start with the time mm -hmm. um, when I have people do this. And so the, the method I use for off the clock is to have people recount the previous 24 hours this is something that people are usually able to do with reasonable accuracy. They can't, rec they can't recount the previous 48 hours. It's, it's a funny trick <laughs> of the human mind. You, you have no idea what you did the day before yesterday, but you actually do know what you did yesterday. So that I would have them record the previous 24 hours and go from there. The broader 10 diary studies I've done. And when I'm tracking myself, I have a spreadsheet that represents the 168 hours of a week. It's actually in half hour blocks. So there's 336 cells on the spreadsheet has the days of the week across the top Monday through Sunday 
has half hour blocks across the left hand side um, from 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. Uh, and I generally just check in three times a day and write down what I did with my time since the previous time I checked in. Mm-hmm. That sounds uh, a little scary, but also, like you said, it's like it's an accountability journal. And I also wonder, like, do you, <laughs> I wonder if a manager would appreciate if you came to them with your time diary and say, like, Here, look, I, I really can't take on any more projects, or if they would just be like, if they would be insulted by that a little bit. Like, I get that you're busy, but all of us are busy. I don't know. I I think that could actually be a really good thing for work too, because sometimes you don't know, like, can people take on more projects? Are they not working enough? And I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like, oh, I think that's a great idea. I mean, you have to handle it with the people you're working with. You have to know them, uh, right. what, what they appreciate and what they don't. <laughs> handle but I would care. like to think that a manager who actually cared about people being productive and, and taking yeah. on the right things and, and, you know, making the best use of their time that they're being paid for right. would want to see how people are spending their time because we don't ever really know. Uh, you may think your manager knows everything you have on your plate or what you're devoting time to, but maybe she doesn't. Like right. maybe, you know, you she gave you a project a while ago that she doesn't really actually care about all that much anymore, but you haven't stopped putting the time against it. You know, these are the kind of conversations that it's important to have. Mm-hmm. Hey there, let's take a quick break from today's show so I can tell you about Rothy's shoes, the most comfortable flat you can wear all day for any occasion. I hate when I buy shoes that look great, but then they need weeks of breaking in time before I can actually enjoy them. Rothy's aren't like that. Rothy's shoes do not require any breaking in time so you can immediately enjoy them. I know this because I know this because I wear my Rothy's almost daily, including the weekends. I have a pair of flats in black solid that are great for work since they are a quick way to add polish to my usual jeans and blouse uniform. And on the weekends, I love to switch to my camo gray sneakers and some yoga pants. It's a more stylish way to run errands in comfort, or I can even meet up with a friend and power walk to brunch all within my sneakers. Rothy's also has numerous color and pattern selections. The lineup is always being updated. Next on my list is the point style in a bright spring color. You'll want to check these shoes out and share the love with all your work wives. And for your royally obsessed bestie, You can even let her know that Meghan Markle slipped on a pair of Rothy's during a recent trip to Australia. I promise I'm not making that up. Not only do Rothy's look good, they're good for the environment. They're made from plastic water bottles, and so far, Rothy's has almost reached 20 million bottles recycled. You can also machine wash your shoes, which will help save your wallet because you won't have to buy a new pair every time they get dirty. Bottom line, I love my Rothy's, and I know you will too. Right now, Rothy's has an amazing deal for you listeners. Use code FEMALS, F-E-M-A-I-L-S, to get free shipping with no minimum. Go to rothys.com and enter FEMALS to get your new favorite flats and free shipping. It's a no-brainer. Shoes that are comfortable, stylish, and sustainable with free shipping. Yup, that deal was made for you. All right, now let's get back to the show. Well, being busy is definitely a status symbol for our society. I mean, I feel like I ask people, hey, how, how's it going? How are you doing? And they're like, oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> it's like that's not even a response to that question. Yes. Um, but it's a very boring answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it does. It feels like, oh, I'm so important. I'm so busy. Ask, I don't know. It kind of kind of rubs me in the wrong way sometimes. But how do we break that narrative so it doesn't break us, you know, that we're not just this culture who's obsessed with busyness? 
Well, one thing you can do is stop using the word busy. Um, so I, I personally try not to answer that. It's, it's the modern equivalent of fine, right? Like it, it, when people <laughs> say I'm busy, what they mean is I'm fine. Like nothing different out of the ordinary. You know, I'm not about to tell you that, you know, some family member died or I lost my job or anything like that. You know, busy means like all, all is good. Um, which is kind of funny, but instead just tell people like, oh, this is what I did this weekend or, oh, here's a project I'm really excited about. I mean, because then you can actually do something with that conversation, with that bit of information. The person can you know, ask a follow-up question or then say, oh, you know, John did that too and liked it. You should meet. Or, you know, it's just mm-hmm. gives them more information to, to work with and you can have a much richer conversation. Uh, you know, I also try to just push back against the narrative. I mean, people call me up and say, I, you know, I know you're busy. I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, doesn't mean you don't have a lot going on. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it just means that you are not running around crazed, which I think is a better way to be. Yeah. I, I actually really love removing busy from your vocabulary, which would be a really good challenge for everyone listening. Uh, remove busy for a month. But the other one I would like everyone to remove is sorry. We recently did this example of like, you know, and it, this happens with women a lot where like you'll walk into a room and instead of saying, excuse me, you'll say sorry. And so, you know, it's like, it, it's not, it feels like we're just constantly apologizing all the time. And so that's another great one. Well, like, while you're removing words from your vocabulary, you might as well remove sorry and busy and then replace them with things that are more proactive or uh, like you said, even more interesting. So instead of sorry, like, excuse me, I didn't know you were getting in the elevator. Go right ahead. Where are you going? And now you're having a conversation with a person versus just, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, Unless you actually like stepped on their foot. Yeah. I mean, like if you did something bad. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So an important part of of better time management is definitely being able to say no more often and be more aware of when you're saying yes. And I have two thoughts here. The first one is that saying no is really hard and at times very uncomfortable. And then the other thing that comes to mind is that I often feel conflicted about saying no when I'm actually free to say yes because I want to remain open to new opportunities. And, you know, some of the advice out there is um, like Shonda Rhimes wrote a book literally called The Year of Yes or Saying Yes. And it's all about say yes and kind of, you know, lean into those things. So how do you get comfortable saying no, even if you can, even if you have the time to do it? Well, I think the key thing here and, and what, what Shonda Rhimes is getting at is that a lot of times women say no to big stuff because we've said yes to a lot of small stuff that's then keeping us too busy to say yes to the, the big stuff or because we're scared of the big stuff. So right. I, I think there's definitely something to be said for saying yes to, you know, some, like I have a friend who was asking me today about, you know, taking on a big new job opportunity that would be, you know, added stress for sure. And she's got a busy life, but I think she'd totally be able to do it. And I think some of the things that are stressful to her now would be less when she was in charge because then it would run mm, well, as point. opposed yeah. to now, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So those are, those are important things to keep in mind. Saying no to stuff that isn't in, in line with your vision for how you should be spending your time is, is more the question, you know, what we should, what we need to be saying no to. It is hard to say no. You don't want to disappoint people we tend to have a warped perspective on time, the further something is in the future. So I don't know if we have this idea like, oh, it'll never be March. Like, you know, like I'll never have to deal with that thing. Yeah. <laughs> or, or that somehow you in March will be a completely different person. And, and so the normal issues you're struggling with now in terms of how busy you are and how much you have on your plate, well, that won't apply at all in March somehow. <laughs> right. So, you know, in general, so I, I always tell people like, when you're asked to do something in the future, uh, ask yourself if you would do it tomorrow. Mm, um, that's a good because idea. Because your sense of how busy you will be tomorrow and what you have on your plate tomorrow 
is far better than your cents for next March, right? Right. Well, so you'll say that you'll say you, yes to everything if, for next March because you're free. <laughs> yeah, you're free. Yeah, it turns out you're actually free in March. Yeah, right? but so what? Like you won't be once you get to March, right? Um, and then, then I think the the other thing is you can you can train yourself to recognize that some things are like you know on the zero to ten point scale, you might be better off saying no to things that are you know in the middle because it is quite possible that good stuff will come later. Mm-hmm. Um, that is in the nine ten category. Right. Uh, I, I have learned this the hard way with, you know, speaking gigs, uh, that I do as much as possible, try to keep my calendar open, knowing that, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, I want, you know, we want you to fly to California to give a big speech. Like if I've booked little stuff, that's hard to get out of, mm-hmm. um, I won't be able to take those on. And, and so, you know, when people want me to do time specific stuff that is far in the future, like it, it needs to be big enough to justify it. I'll tell people like, well, I can do it for you next week, but I, I can't pledge to do it in April. Right. Um, so that that's, uh, I, I think recognizing the opportunity cost is, is important as well. Right. No, I think, I mean, I think what everybody wants is some sort of like criteria, even it's, even if it's an internal criteria, like, does this meet the criteria of me saying yes to it or not? Like, I think people just want, sometimes it's simplified and I think you've done that. So that's great. Well, before we move into our rapid fire, I would just love to know if you could leave us women with some overall great time management advice or activity or action that we should take, what would it be? Like one thing that we could do to actually like help us with that. Well, I really do think that uh, tracking your time is, is the best thing you can do. And I sound like a broken record about this since I know I've already talked about it <laughs> in the podcast, but, it, but it, it is so enlightening. I mean, even if you have a, think you have a really good sense of where your time goes, I've seen so many people with, with busy, full lives, and I'm using that busy word there, but mm-hmm. think they don't have time for stuff, discover that, oh, I do. Right, right. <laughs> that's a very empowering message. Or even that they see I'm spending a lot of time on this thing that I don't care about let me get rid of it. And it empowers them to get rid of it. Um, right. and, and that is a very important moment in, in the time management journey. If you're not going to do that, and I know not everyone will, I think one of the best things you can do is, is also what we talked about earlier, planning your weeks on, on Fridays and, and thinking through the week ahead and making a three category priority list, career relationship self, making sure each category has at least something in it. Um, cause right there you're, you're going to get a, a more right. balanced life. <laughs> Yeah. But a short list, if you know what your priorities are for the next week and find a place for them, uh, even when, when stuff happens, you're, you're probably going to make progress on what matters to Mm -hmm. you. And yeah. And like I said earlier, I really like the ritual of that. You know, that's how I start my week. It's how I end my week. And you know, that also feels really nice just to have this kind of like official start and end. So I've, I've enjoyed that as well. Okay. So for rapid fire, these are, you know, short answers or one word answers. Your morning routine always includes coffee, <laughs> lots of coffee. I'm sure. Um, the self-care item you, na- you make time for each week is well, running uh, every day, but that, that goes uh, yeah. in your life or your self category on your list. Uh, well, since it's an everyday thing, I don't tend to actually put it on the on the priority list because I, I tend to reserve the priority list for stuff that isn't going to happen anyway that I need to remind myself to do. <laughs> so so things that are habits don't necessarily get on the list. Gotcha. Um, and even as a time management expert, you still struggle with? Um, you know, what do you do when you have low energy 
and being prepared for those low energy times. It is so easy to spend them screwing around online, just reading tons of headlines and you know social media stuff. And a little bit of that is fine, but you know, past like 15 minutes, it's probably not so fine. <laughs> so time to, to figure out what else to do. And, you know, I try to read, but sometimes I don't have a book I want to read, or I'm tired of the book I read, and I don't have a backup plan. And, you know, it's it's hard to figure out what to do at those times. Right. No, I, I, I mean, when you figure that one out, write your next book on energy, and then we'll have you back on the show. Because I, I think everyone feels that it's like, I, I could do this thing, but I just don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not jazzed about it. And so yeah. I don't have the energy for it. And lastly, how do you plan to disrupt your career in 2019? Well, I actually have a book coming out in March that's called Juliet School of Possibilities. Um, that is a time management fable. So oh. it is a novella about time management. So completely different uh, <laughs> wow. from, from the other productivity books. Uh, so here's hoping that my readers will come along for the ride. Uh, but we'll, we'll see how that does. Well, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been very insightful. I've taken tons of notes and I'm definitely going to track my time because now that you've said it, I'm just kind of fascinated to know where it goes. So I'll keep you posted. <laughs> I'm either wasting a lot of time or maybe I'm productive. We'll see. Well, can't, can't wait to hear how you spend it. <laughs> thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. That was Laura Vanderkam, an author, productivity expert, and a woman disrupting time management skills. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Females. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Females and leave us a review. We're so grateful to hear from you, our listeners. And here's what Erin of Coffee Meets Polished blog recently said. I've been following Career Contessa for a few years now, from their email newsletter to their hilarious Instagram posts, and now with The Females. What I love is that the guests don't just delve into specific topics, but they also discuss deeper life topics and how they can apply to our careers. Thank you, Erin, and I'm so thrilled to hear that you are really enjoying the episodes. Ready for more smart career advice? Sign up for our free 28-day career kickstart via the link in the show notes or head over to careercontessa.com. You'll get one email a week that includes everything you need to uplevel your career. It's free and it can change your life. I'll be back next Tuesday with Anu Dogal and Sutian Dong, the duo behind the Female Founders Fund. But until then, you can follow us on at Career Contessa on Instagram. Share this episode with your work wives and Instagram community with hashtag the females podcast and listen to this sneak peek of next week's episode. I think what we've seen, which has been really exciting since then, is that not only on the female founder side, are you seeing you know, kind of an exponential growth in the number of companies being started by women, which, you know, internally we track, but also from a venture capital perspective, you're also seeing both, you know, female partners being added to, you know, majority of the top tier venture funds, but also a lot of funding going towards these female founded companies.